The world of Arkham is populated by keen sleuths and wielders of the mystic arts. It matters who sits at the table with you to play, the personalities of Arkham, if you will. And today, we might just be diving into that a little bit. You're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game, and I'm your host, Frank. Today, I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm great. It's it's great. It's We're coming into autumn now, so it's spooky season. Actually, as I'm recording this, the wind is howling outside, so you might have Perfect. to... To Perfect. cut all of that out, the recording. <laughs> but <laughs> today you. is extra special for another reason, because uh, we are joined by... It's me, Stephen. Hello to you both. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Hi. Hey, How are you is, doing? I feel like it's always windy, uh, Peter. You say that like... I, I've listened to a couple of the podcasts, and I feel like it's always windy. <laughs> is this a, a Lovecraft bit that you're doing, or is it just always windy uh, where you are? You know what? I, I wish it was a bit... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Such is the perils of living in Scotland. Uh, it's, but I would, man, I would honestly love to try that out for a little while. I feel like it's in my roots. Uh, I definitely know that I have some Scottish blood in me, which is why I can't stay away from the sea. So I'm ready to come visit uh, and see what all this wind and, and sea is about. You know what? Interestingly, sorry, that's that's a catchphrase. Um, <laughs> I remember ages ago, I think back when you guys started the, the Covenant cast, you were talking about this crime program set in Scotland. Was it Shetland, maybe? Oh, man, yes, that show is so good. I, I've kept trying to find it because I heard you mention it and it sounded right up my street and I could never find it. You couldn't find I mean, it's seriously some of the best television ever. Ever. Wow. It's incredible. Uh, so yes, please do find it. Look it up. I'm, I'm waiting. Apparently, the next season is coming to Netflix at some point. No, it was nominated for some awards and things. So you should be should be more than aware of it. This is should a, be drowning in it. There is a <laughs> drowning in it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, listener, if you're if you're wondering who this person Stephen <laughs> is, what covenant is that we mentioned, and why he's so crazy about the program Shetland, um, we're joined by Stephen Woolley this episode. I don't even know your job title. You just you're a team covenant. Yeah, I'm the uh, I'm the marketing director. I, I may I guess I'm technically a co-founder. Zach, so Zach is our CEO and, and proper founder, and he and I grew up. I uh, really got to know each other through tabletop games when we were like 12 or 13 years old in a small town in Chelsea, Oklahoma, about 2,000 people. And so that's that's how we got to know each other. And then he started uh, Covenant, and then I quickly joined him uh, shortly after. And that was 11 years ago. 11 years ago, okay. Yes. Wow. So this what have you been up to in those 11 years? What what what, what do you do at uh, Team Covenant as a group? Uh, yeah, so Covenant is uh, a lot of things, and I think that this is one of our unique realities in this space, in tabletop games. Um, we're a, a gaming retailer, so we sell products. Uh, probably our most popular offering is our subscription service, which is not like a loot box or anything weird like that. It's quite simply... You can sign up for, for instance, an Arkham Pack subscription, a Mythos Pack subscription. And then uh, a couple of weeks before a Mythos Pack comes out, we charge you, and then we send the pack to you. It arrives around release day, maybe a day after, uh, particularly in the States. Obviously, you can't do that as much internationally. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's basically like we came into the industry, and you know, like I said, we'd been kids, and we'd been playing games and, and going to stores and participating. And we just, I mean, we just had this overwhelming sense, honestly, that this could be done so much better. And that stuck with us throughout going to tournaments and going to various shops that, you know, were just at the base level, just dirty or unwelcoming or, you know, really pushing that exclusive you know, angle or making it all dark and weird so that a lot of people just were not comfortable getting involved in this hobby. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. so Zach started Covenant to you know, kind of ultimately start to try to solve that problem. We were very young and didn't really know what we could do. I think Zach was like 18 at the time, 19 at the time. And from there, um, we started writing articles, started selling Spoils, which is a collectible game at the time that we were playing and really into. And we wanted to uh, provide content and do it better than it was being done. And then from there, it went from like Spoils and then that game kind of died. And then we got really into Monster Apocalypse and started blogging and that kind of launched our website a little bit more and then we started selling more products and then we expanded into more products then we started a local store here in Tulsa and then we started our subscription service and started making custom tokens and it kind of has all just spun out from that single desire to make 
the industry better. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, that's probably why it's taken us 11 years to get where we are, because there's a lot of really enticing ways to spin your wheels on that problem. Like when your focus yeah. is yeah. make everything better, it can be very easy to become unfocused and try to do too much. And I think we have certainly done that uh, many, many times over the course of our, our business history. But we seem to be at this point, I'm really happy with where we are and we're, we're able to look at individual problems like, you know what, it's really hard to and annoying to stay up with when the next Mythos Pack's coming out, when the next Alexis Beanchin's coming out. Um, if you're not locked into that like FFG homepage, upcoming page, it's just hard to know and to stay up to date on that. And so we're like, well, let's solve that. Uh, with LCGs in particular, it's like a once a month release. Can we, can we fix that? So that's where we launched the subscription service. And it started, you guys, it's so funny. It started with uh, PayPal. That was all that we had wow. available back then. Yeah. And our... System was PayPal had no choice. You had to get, if you were on a subscription with PayPal, you had to get charged once a month. And so, for instance, if you're an Arkham player, every Arkham player would get charged once a month. If a pack didn't come out, we'd refund them. And we oh, just, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane, right? Um, and so sometimes, you know, you, you have to start with what you have. And then we've been able to develop the system with a lot of custom uh, programming. And now it's like rock solid. So um, it's just we're just here to try to solve problems. And we really just care about the future of the industry. And we want to make it as bright for everybody as we can. There's a certain amount of relief, isn't there, as well, for the player to not feel like they have to track oh, it's, their game. Oh, it's huge. You know, but- I, I, think, I, I think it's... It's very difficult. And like we hear a lot of times from, you know, especially like fathers and sons, uh, we write, we get a lot of writings from, uh, you know, the fathers that are like, you know, I'm busy, I'm working every week, I've got to take care of my family, I got to do all sorts of stuff. And I love just getting a pack randomly in the mail, knowing that I'm not falling behind. And I might, you know, I might get three without playing. And then I can sit down with my family, with my son, with my friends crack them all open, have the newest scenarios, newest adventures, and I don't have to like stress out about pre-ordering, making sure that my, my store is carrying it, all those kinds of things. So we're just trying to take a lot of the barriers away from somebody enjoying games like Arkham. One of the things we've noticed, uh, I, I don't want to get too meta talking about this, but... Oh, please um, get meta. I love meta. <laughs> I think there's a large proportion of players uh, of all the LCGs, which are maybe quieter uh, the, the kind of kitchen table type players. Uh, and this was a surprise to me. I'd, I'd mainly been involved in Netrunner before yeah. uh, I came to this. And obviously, you, when you plug into Netrunner, you know, you're on the Slack and everyone's chatting about decks constantly. Uh, I guess not everyone is like that. Uh, but actually, uh, it's been eye opening in the cooperative LCG that there's so many players out there that just aren't plugged into a community. It's absolutely true. I know um, Frank has said before, like, there's a huge uh, Lord of the Rings LCG group on Facebook, uh, but you you never see them at any events because there aren't really any events uh, that gather those players together. Yeah, and that, honestly, that's a shame. I think that's a tremendous opportunity. That's something that we're looking at here locally and just in general is you you have a tremendous amount of people who are engaging with this hobby in ways that aren't probably properly being recognized and therefore, those people aren't being served as well as they could be. And that's something that with the subscription service and with the kind of products that we're making, which are very theme-heavy, all about um, you know getting into the Arkham universe as, as hard as you can, those things are designed for those players. And honestly, I'm playing Arkham in that way. Like I get together maybe once a month, maybe once every other month. Uh, with the same two friends, Robert and Philip, and we play through three or four scenarios. We have a great afternoon, uh, and we're not, you know, we're not overly obsessed with having the perfect deck and like what is all this this tech on this investigator and that one. We just want to get together and have that connection. And I think we're going to have to end this interview immediately. <laughs> not right level of obsession for this podcast. So. Uh, but, we thought that you were a professional, Stephen. But that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, it may be cooperative games. It may be that I'm getting older, so I'm finding value in other ways of engaging with a hobby. But there's a huge number of Arkham players out there. Most of them are probably listening to your podcast right now, too. Not most of them, but a lot of them are. And hope so, hope so. Yeah, and, and they're gathering around casually to play this game. And really, if you think about tabletop games as a conduit for people connecting with each other, 
Arkham is one of the absolute best games for that. And I think cooperative games do that in an incredibly, uh, you know, friendly way. You don't have the competition going on, so it's a lot easier to kind of relax into these relationships. And so cooperative games need a lot more support, and they need to they need to be celebrated more than they are. And even, like, just because it doesn't fit into the Magic Tournament, pay $10, get a booster pack when you win format doesn't mean that stores shouldn't be uh, putting their heads together to figure out how to serve these players. Yeah, I mean, you've sort of answered some of the questions we had jotted down for you, but we identified that Lord of the Rings and Arkham do differ from your standard co-op, standard um, competitive game. Yeah. And wondering sort of what the role of, how, how do you see the role of the modern game shop catering to those audiences? How is there a role for the shop or is it is it a sort of shopless future that we're facing? Absolutely, there is a role for the shop. The shop needs to change its DNA. I think that's the, the straight up reality of this. If you are appropriately reading the tea leaves of the future of this and many other industries, you're not going to beat online retail in terms of efficiency, reliability, product spread, diversity, etc right like mm. you're you're just not going to do that so game stores need to ask the question what is the actual value that we're bringing to this space and in some ways that's instant access to product and i think it's fine to have some product sales going on and to promote that in your store but relying exclusively on product sales at msrp prices to fund the entire space and essentially making the case that Players should feel guilty if they shop for a better price or a better deal elsewhere because you won't be able to be open and have some chairs and, and a table set up for them to play on is a losing argument, ultimately. I, I don't think you can guilt trip people into finding value in what you're doing. I think you need to actually go out and provide as much value as you possibly can. And so the store has to be the best place in a 50-mile radius to play Arkham. You know, it has to be the best place to connect with other people. It has to be comfortable. It has to have the amenities that your living room doesn't have. Um, It has to have advantages, right? So you need to look at how can you provide the best place to play and connect with other players? Because what we all want is more players to play with. I mean, that's a universal truth of tabletop games. And that's why we're different than a Best Buy, is that we actually need other people to do what we love doing. Um, I, I can't just buy a laptop and then go home and use it for the rest of my life and, you know, never engage with another person. It's like when I buy a board game, I have to have other people to play it with. And so we all benefit by having more players to potentially play with and getting those players centralized into a singular place. And so the store needs to ask the question, how do I do that? And it's not through just having racks upon racks of products and hoping that people decide that they're going to support you instead of pay $20 less over on Amazon, right? That's just not, not going to happen. So you got to rethink the model. I think it's it's hard, but this is the future of all retail. It's got to be experiential. It's got to be holistic. You've got to embrace the things that make the shop worth going to over just sitting at your house and buying a board game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that there's there's a lot of growing pains absolutely everywhere at the moment because this the internet has disrupted everything. I'm this is hot take in in 2018 <laughs> yeah, i mean only only 30 years but i mentioned very briefly games workshop before before we started and i think they're a, they're an interesting case study because they've changed a lot in the past kind of 5 years as a result of the explosion in the availability of other games other miniature games everything online and they've started to you know use their online space to do stuff other than just selling products and their stores, you know, they've always been more hobby centers than stores. But yeah, it's, it's offering that experience on top of just buying the stuff in a place. Yeah, and GW has had what looks to me to be a very impressive turnaround, even just in public perception over the past five years. So they're definitely doing something right at this point. I'm trying to think where I first came across Team Covenant. And I think it was it was probably your gameplay videos you were doing for Netrunner. Yeah, yeah, those are uh, great and- videos. I remember uh, a key moment in my network development was a certain article, uh, The Anatomy of Anak. <laughs> yeah. That uh, article really, um, God, what a, what a fantastic thing that that became. Yeah. I certainly didn't expect it's that. It's going to be on your tombstone, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Which is it, funny because I'm, I'm actually hugely into order in the grand scheme of things. So uh, <laughs> what, a, what a sad well, irony. It, it, was, it was a real turning point for me. It was it, I took a... I read that and took it to heart and then 
I'd only really played Criminal before then, and I dived into Anuk based on on your article. Played Wizard before he was a big thing. Yes. Um, and, you know, back in the days when you could use Knight, and it was jumping around all that. Anyway. Um, Those were good days. Those were such it, good days. It, it was, a, it was a, a change in me for how I saw playing Netrunner, and it, it was a step up in, in my game playing at that point. But the thing that really cemented you guys in my brain was I bought the date tokens. Oh, that's from, so good. From, Thank you for that. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, all the way over to Edinburgh, <laughs> uh, I bought a good pack of them. And I believe you've, you've had some Arkham tokens in the past. Yeah, we do. We, so we've got um, our line of Mythos tokens, and I cannot tell you how much I love them. Uh, honestly, like designing for Arkham and, and Jonathan, who is our lead designer, also happens to be my brother, uh, which is a kind of a fun uh, thing to go into business together. But he he's so good at this. Um, it's kind of mind-blowing. And you can set him loose on a universe like uh, Lovecraft. And the things that arise from that are, uh, I think they're just phenomenal. I think they're incredibly good. So we've got the Mythos tokens, and those are essentially broken into player sets and campaign sets. So your player sets, everything you need for your own investigator, your health, your sanity, your resources. And then the campaign set is based on the size of your game. Generally, like your clue tokens and uh, your, you know, your your uh, doom tokens and those kinds of things. So we kind of broke it out and kind of I've tried to arrange it where about the right number for a four-player game, three-player game, two-player game. But what what really, honestly, kind of took this to the next level was that Mythos board, the first one that we we launched, and that stemmed from we were playing a game of Arkham and I had locations starting to come into my territory. You know how that goes? You, you have that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. And, <laughs> and we started to yeah, yeah. slide things around and um, there was a moment where I had I had slid things around and I didn't know if uh, a resource that was next to my investigator car was meant to be off to the side like in the general pool which is in the middle of the table or in my actual pool. Uh, and so I took it anyway because I just assumed that it was mine and that was going to be better for me. But yeah. it's um, a rogue thing to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was playing skids <laughs> at the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he would probably have that resource. I think so. Um, and so we looked at it and said, you know what? Like, this is the kind of game where you you want your investigators to be the focus of your board, right? It's like this is who I am. It's like your character sheet, right? You have this attachment to this entity, and you want to know kind of how healthy they are, how much money they have, how many clues they've captured. You really want that in a separate place. And so we, man, it was, we spent a lot of development time and and resources to get this right, to do the copper powder and to do the mold with the copper powder. Because the the copper, it's got a, it's not made of copper, but it's got a copper surface on it. Is that right? It is ultimately, so it's essentially resin, but there's copper, literally like actual copper powder mixed in. Yeah, and and, and it like, it ages as well. You get a, like a patina on it. Yeah, so it's it's pretty much, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just like a, probably a diluted copper, basically. Um, it's kind of a, a diluted mixture of the two elements. And so you, you put them together and you add patinas and we basically we polish it before we send them to give it that nice sheen. And uh Honestly, we didn't know if we were just kind of like, if this was something only Covenant people <laughs> wanted or if the greater Arkham community was interested in this kind of uh, an item. And it was it was unbelievable, honestly. The demand for Mythos boards just completely blew us away and uh, have only now maybe gotten on top of getting enough supply to satisfy how many boards uh, people want, which is just amazing. And if anybody listening to this uh, podcast has bought a Mythos board or uh, is even considering it, I, I want to offer my greatest thanks because it really does allow us to continue doing the things that we want to do for this industry, um, whether it's making like the Learning Arkham series, which is a direct result of those kinds of sales and subscribers. It, there's just so much that we can do, and obviously you need cash to do it. So that's a huge, huge point is to thank everybody out there who has supported us. Even the data tokens, you know, like that, that continues to help us do what we do. So thank you to everyone who's doing that. But I will say, why don't we just do it? I want to, I want to yeah, talk on, about, <laughs> uh, I want to talk about because we were talking about Mythos boards there. We are announcing on uh, this podcast, I think it has gone up or is going up our official announcement probably right now uh, that we have a new Mythos board in the mix and it is paired with the Forgotten Age cycle. So it's inspired by that cycle and those themes, kind of the Aztec 
uh, vibe. And this, honestly, this Mythos board may be the thing that I am most proud of that Covenant has produced. I think that Jonathan feels the same way in terms of design. This is a brand new uh, methodology for us where we actually take wood and carve the wood in a certain way, and then we use the wood as a uh, mold for the resin. So it picks up all of these like grainy kind of old details, and it just makes the thing feel and look so ancient. And then we go across and we uh, dry brush it to finish every one of these boards off uh, with a wax. And I got to, I mean... It, it's it's stunningly beautiful. We seen uh, Frank and I both reacted as soon as we saw it. It's just wow. <laughs> well, thank it's you gorgeous. guys so much. I mean, it's uh, we've had this in the in the pipeline for a little while, and it's so awesome to get this out there in the world. And what we really want to do is we're going to make that our current mythos board kind of the Dunwich mythos board. And then this one is kind of for our Forgotten Age cycle, and then we're looking at potentially going and doing like a Carcosa themed one, and then probably the next cycle as well. And we'll keep doing it as long as people keep wanting them because I think it's so cool to have this themed thing that's in front of you whenever you're going through that particular cycle it really like using this board whenever you're crawling through forgotten age i cannot wait like i our group just finished uh yellow yellow king so our next session is going to be uh forgotten age cycle with these boards for the first time and i can't wait for it and i hope that everybody out there uh, (laughs) checks out the announcement and kind of gets some more information about that i'm sure there'll be links everywhere on our facebook and youtube and all of that so yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 you'll, you'll see just from looking at the pictures of it, it it's stunning. I love the, the color as well. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, so listener, it's it's like a, a kind of coppery green, I guess. It's that, that green copper color. Yeah, it's like that deep. It's supposed to be like, you know, you dive deep through this, this jungle forest to get to these ruins that you start to explore. So it's supposed to be like that, uh, you know, sitting deep in this like ancient jungle kind of feel. Yeah, and it, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> you've, you've nailed that feel perfectly. Good, good, And good. The, the design is similar to the original board, listener. So you've got a space for your investigator card. You've got space for damage and horror. And then it has this little side tray. And I, I just wanted to say, Stephen, so I play with someone who has one of your original boards. Uh-huh. And it's the side tray that I really envy. Is that the I key? I really <laughs> like that. Yeah, I really like that as a... Just like sometimes there are clues in there. Sometimes there are resources. There's just a little area that's clearly his area. Yeah. And you know where his stuff is. And exactly what you described, that moment of losing a resource into the communal pool or whatever. It doesn't happen for him because he has his little side tray. That's awesome. Carefully. It's (laughs) a really nice, nice little detail. Can you thank him next time you see him from from us directly? Because I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, so we've got this announced and uh, hopefully everybody checks it out and we do ship worldwide. So wherever you are, we can make your Forgotten Age experience that much better. The link to the page will be in the description to this episode, listener. So go and take a look at that. Uh, If this has gone up before the Team Covenant page has gone up, I'll update it afterwards. And yeah, check them out. And I mean, I think just as well in terms of Forgotten Age, Stephen, you've not played it yet, but for all of those people who can't wait to put Forgotten Age behind them because it's been so punishing, (laughs) this can be a really nice way of reliving some of those great memories. There's little snake designs on there for all the fun times we had with snakes. There's sort of various things that could be Doom for all the fun times we've had with Doom, you know? That's so good. And I... uh, It's great. What what I envision, and this is kind of how I will use them, is you know whenever you go back through and you play through a cycle that you played before, just not only getting out the proper scenarios, but you get out the proper themed boards and maybe you know some of those exclusive Doom tokens we've done as well that match the theme of the cycles. You get those out, and it makes such a difference to have to sink into that cycle uh, completely whenever you're playing. That's something we really, really uh, wanted to focus on. Just when we make anything really focusing on the theme coming through and, and drawing people deeper into these universes, into these games. Uh, and so hopefully everybody will uh, will agree and and use those Mythos boards in the same kind of way, like setting the scene for the adventure we're about to have. Or you can even pair them with the particular investigators as well. So if I'm if I'm pulling out Ursula Downs, uh, maybe I'll pull out my, uh, my Deep in the Jungle board to go along with her, or, Le- or Leo Anderson, for instance. Absolutely. Uh, and then yeah. no matter where she yeah. is, she's dragging that that hunk of uh, aged wood along with it yeah so cool <laughs> yeah. yeah so hopefully uh, hopefully everybody digs them and uh and yeah i can't wait to get mine honestly 
I think you've pl- plugged into something really prevalent in the community, which is that people really like to enhance their experience around Arkham, whether that's putting good music on or with tokens or just, you know, dimming the lights when they play or whatever it is to, to kind of add that extra level of immersion. So Absolutely. yeah, I think it's it's nice to feed off that, I think. Have you guys seen uh, Wesley Slover's page? Do you guys know about Wes? I think I only only know his name from you mentioning him you, maybe? you really need to check it out so we did the like i said earlier the learning arkham series and it's still kind of a work in progress but we were talking about this before the cast began um this was one of our efforts and we're starting to do this more and more with the games that we're supporting trying to help brand new players understand what's going on with this game and to jump in without having that scary moment of like i don't know what to do and this is overwhelming and so i'm just not going to do it um, it's hard enough you know to get into these kinds of games we we need to do everything we can to make it easy for new players to get excited and to join. But our additional resources, you guys are on there also, um, our additional resources page is kind of just oh, yeah. everything that you might want to get locked into to stay up with Arkham and to enjoy the experience more. And Wesley Slover, his uh, Bandcamp page is on there, and he has a ton of Arkham-inspired music, and he's an incredibly talented guy. It's called Impressions of the Miskatonic, so you guys can check that out. It's really cool. Yeah, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm, I'm all I'm up for anything which improves the mood. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and and I think some of my favorite scenarios are the ones where there's been a a certain mood struck. So you haven't played any of the Forgotten Age, is that right, Steve? Not yet. No, I'm about to start it. This, that, that first scenario, I think, it's one of those scenarios that does that really well. A lot of people said it's very difficult. I'm sure you'll breeze through it as the <laughs> pro game player you are. But it, it's it's got that feel of, you know, hacking your way through dense jungle, like this sweatiness and the weird animal noises around you. I think it nails that feel really well. Oh, that's so mm. good. I cannot wait. So who did you play through Carcosa? And who will you be taking into the jungle? I mean, you know it's Silas. It's always going to be Silas <laughs> from now on. So, and maybe this maybe this goes all the way back to the uh, the, the Scottish uh, calling that I ultimately have. Even so, I nearly name, jumped in. You mentioned the love of the sea. I was like, wow. <laughs> the name uh, the name Woolly apparently uh, is from a sheep farming, you know, kind of thing from Scotland. So I know that our clan name was McFarlane as well, going back. So I need to dig into that more, and maybe that's where all this comes from. But I am a complete sucker for anything involving water. It's just like my it's my uh, self actualization, uh, you know, power power element. Uh, so in <laughs> okay. any game or anything, I'm just always drawn to that. Uh, whether it's like Avatar: Last Airbender, it's like oh, the waterbenders are the greatest thing. Uh, whether it's Silas in uh, Arkham, uh, whether it's like a Quotia yeah. was this really cool water monster in Monster Apocalypse back in the day. I just am always drawn to it. So Silas was an incredible uh, dream come true for me, even though uh, it must be said that it was a complete disaster trying to get a copy of uh, Deepgate, which I'm glad it's getting reprinted finally. But uh, that was a whole other issue that uh, we best not dive into because I have a lot of heated things to say about the way it was handled. <laughs> yeah. But I managed to track down a copy on my own time, and I got it, and I've been playing Silas since then. And I love him. Um, I think it's a very strong ability. I think it's just I have, I have a lot of fun playing that card pool. And It does feel like riding a wave, doesn't it? Yes, very much. You have these waves where you like pour out cards, and then some of them flow back into your hand. And if you hit an elder sign, suddenly the 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 waves rush back into your hand. It's I, yeah, it feels like sailing. It's very strange. Isn't that amazing? Him. I mean, the Matt Matt Newman, who I've spent a, a not insignificant amount of time with, just in our various interactions with FFG at conventions and whatnot, is so good at this. Like, so good. Um, I think he's a true talent and somebody who can maneuver within a rule set and create whatever experience he wants to create without introducing a ton of new rules and complexity. Yeah. And just looking yeah. at what has happened with all these various investigators, I think Matt is a genius at design of these kinds of things. So it's cool. Yeah, Silas feels like that. But at the same time, I cannot wait for his like trident and net. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've not even seen yeah, all of yeah. Silas. Because you yeah. see that that's on the way whenever it's officially he's officially released. And it's like, oh my gosh, I love as you might expect, tridents and nets. 
<laughs> so what's that going to mean, right? Like, what? Yeah. How cool that he has this like kind of classic gladiator play style. Is he going to be like evading people with the net and hurting people with the trident? And if they work together, like if you've evaded them with the net, you do extra damage to the trident. That kind of stuff, right? I, I yeah. just can't wait to see how that uh, unfolds. And he'll still have the same ability. He'll still have the reaction to pull cards back to his hand. Absolutely. So you're still going to want to run skill heavy, but how will skills interact with the trident and the net? You know, there's a lot of moving parts there. So fun. Uh, and then yeah. you got to wonder is, uh, I, I didn't realize this, but you can run both sets of those signature cards, which I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a revelation for me. So like, you don't even have to give up his... Uh, navigations in the deep whatever that thing is that skill that draws you a card that is so good yeah you can take them both you just have some more weaknesses which is all more fun anyway yeah no it's uh it's really nice and flexible in that way that you can take the replacements hey i got or or not i've got a question for you i know that there's somebody on the cast that plays silas right yeah so at the time that this goes out the listeners will know more than you do Stephen. Uh, last week's episode is my live play of silas so I play live on the cast. Are you putting Are you putting Yodel in there? No, no. So I made the deck before. Yeah, Yodel was. I don't think I. Thing. I don't think I like it. I've I've tried it. I don't think I like it. In Silas or just in, generally in Silas. Yeah. So like, I put Yodel. I spent some experience on Yodel. The and it's a great looking card. Yeah. But I, I you know, and I, I just, I even I played it a couple of times. I had emergency cash play it. But I'm on like fire axe, have no resources, live on the edge kind of thing. Yeah. And this is exactly my live play deck as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fire it's axe, it, no resources. It's incredibly die painfully. Yeah. It's incredibly good. Uh, I love that build. Assuming you can find the fire axe. I actually ended up putting one of those guns in. I can't remember what it was. Last play session, because there was a couple of games I didn't draw the axe, and I was like, I need some damage. <laughs> it's that gun that jams. I forget what that one is. The, oh, the old hunting, the old hunting rifle. rifle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I, my Silas has a couple of those, I think, or maybe just one of them. But yeah, I don't think Yodel's worth it. And I, I think everybody is like min-maxing. I'll tell you, no, I'll tell you another reason why he's not as good in Silas, and that's that some of the best cards in Silas, like Unexpected Courage or Quick Thinking, are wild icons. Yep. So ideally in a Yodel deck, you you don't run any wild icons because you can't use them with Yaltle. That's right. So there's a little little bit of a clash there anyway. Well, I'm glad that I'm not making a, a terrible mistake by leaving that card out. No, 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 I don't think so. I, th- I, think the, I think the Yaltle decks are at heart combo decks. And I think one of the nice things about Silas is that he's not very combo-y. Yeah. And what he does is he elongates the value you get from any given card because you can potentially play it twice in a turn so you get you take a test play unexpected courage grab the unexpected courage back take a second test and play it again and you you still get that value out of that card uh, and yartle wants things in your bin to be tapped yeah so it, it, they don't quite work in the same way it really makes me never want to play skill cards outside of silas again <laughs> yeah you only get to play them once yeah you get in the habit yeah. and you're like ah skill cards are great and then uh, you try them again yeah, there's a forgotten age scenario. We won't spoil it for you, but our listeners will know the one where yeah, yeah. you you lose Silas's ability. And I, playing Silas solo through Forgotten Age, was completely distraught. That it felt like <laughs> such a nerfing. That makes yeah. sense. It's really punishing. So yeah. So you're taking Silas into the jungle. Who will you be going into the jungle with? Oh, that's a good question. So, um, let's see. I, if I were guessing, I'm gonna guess Robert might stay on Ursula. Oh yeah, she's the explorer, right, Ursula? Dennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's really, really good. And um, what I I like is um, I was talking to Frank about this the other day. Um, she she's got there, there's a everyone says Rex is an amazing card, one of the best investigators in the game. Sure, he's great, uh, but he has a certain style of investigating, which is he stands in a location and he gets loads of clues. Yes, and you'll find that Ursula, once she's picked up Pathfinders in the Fieldworks. She moves. She's constantly moving. And actually, yes. she maybe only gets one or two clues from her location in a turn, but she does a huge amount with her turn because she's moving for free with Pathfinder. She's investigating for free with her ability. Uh, she's using some boost on that ability. So she's zipped around half the map and picked up two clues before she's taking any actions. Yeah, it's so good. She's such a Robert character, isn't she? That's like Robert loves the 19 different moving cards in his play he, area, right? He loves he loves fundamentals, which is investigating and movement. 
And so when he can put those two things together, he's very happy. He's very, very much into efficiency when it comes to like game, like deck building. So it's perfect for him. And then Philip, who's the other person in our group, uh, he's been playing Father Mateo. Ooh. And it's so good. It's so much fun. I just love, and see, this is maybe the, the key thing about Arkham is I love the idea of Silas, Father Mateo, and Ursula Downs going into an old tomb and seeing what happens. It, it just seems fitting and interesting to tell that story. You know, so even if we get wrecked, ultimately, that's fine. Because, like, that's as relevant of a story as the one where you succeed, right? And I think yeah, mm-hmm. I think I learned that in role-playing as well, like playing a lot of uh, various role-playing games coming up as, you know, as early as like six, seven years old, is eventually a group gets to a level of maturity where they're more interested in telling a great story than their character doing well or surviving um, or any of that. And that really changes that dynamic. So even taking that lesson from role-playing and putting it into Arkham and saying, I'm here to tell an incredible story, no matter what form that takes, I think can have an impact on how you approach the game. And I, I don't I don't want people to lose that in order to be as optimal as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think our blind playthrough, so I in my yeah, my current playthrough, my main my main blind playthrough. Uh, I'm playing as <laughs> Don't Ursula. start explaining your different playthroughs, Peter. <laughs> it's too complicated. Uh, I'm playing as Ursula. And so, you know, a perfectly well-justified person to be on an expedition into the jungle. And my friend is playing Ashkan Pete. Yeah. Uh, so it's the idea of, like, this, this jungle explorer. She's brought along a homeless man who can see the future. Yeah, it's so um, perfect. Yeah. But but then there's there's a section where you're, you're all in the car, um, and so you, you've picked up a couple of friends in the jungle, but in my deck I've got you know Doctor Milan, I've got Ellie Horowitz, and then Pete, <laughs> Pete, the Pete's got Yotel and Pete Sylvester and uh, Madame Lebranche, and of course Duke. And there's a bit where someone driving the car turns around, and I imagine this person turning around, and there's like seven people and a dog sitting on the back seat of the car, <laughs> <laughs> and just and just an insane cast too. It's like Ocean's yeah. Eleven, you know, meets like Tomb Raider. It's crazy, but I love I love those scenes. I love the idea that like you know Ursula is on her way down to the expedition, and at the final bus stop, you know Ashken's you know sitting there singing a song, and it's like somehow we don't even need to know the story of how it happened, but they ended up in this adventure together. And those are the greatest mm. stories to me. Yeah. Absolutely. And part of, yeah. part of the adventure is creating that story. Mm-hmm. Those moments where you, where you save each other or whatever it is that ties into it. And I think where the, the tokens or the mythos boards or things like that also feed into that is you might then have a memory attached. If you've been playing with your forgotten age board as Ursula, and you sit down to play a new campaign you get the board out and you're like, oh, yeah. And remember the time I did, you know, I found that relic in a tomb or I whatever it is. And you're sort of building a, a story that continues with you from game to game. The, the one that always sticks sticks with me as just one of the best moments in, in, in all the time I've spent playing Arkham was when Daisy stepped on to the edge of the universe, uh, the, the culmination of one of the cycles. Yeah, uh, and yeah, then yeah. she she played decipher reality and scooped up clues from all over the all over reality, uh, and we we're like, yes, this is great. And then the end of the turn, Daisy draws a card, and it's the stubborn detective. <laughs> he's just like popped up at the edge of no, you did murder her. <laughs> so good, yeah, oh, oh, man, just just that. brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing that Arkham can create those kinds of experiences. I think that's. Even as somebody who was not initially very interested in the Lovecraft theme, you realize the the incredible depth and breadth of stories that this game can tell, and they kind of transcend what you would normally consider like ah creepy Cthulian Lovecraft stuff, and more of just like experiences in mystery and intrigue and uh, you know detective work and these kinds of things. And so I think it's great. Matt seems keen to take it in not necessarily the most expected direction when he when he does a new cycle. So uh, it was interesting when he announced The Forgotten Age. Everyone was in the jungle. Why? Yeah. Because people have been speculating whether it was going to be Innsmouth or, or you know, um, is it Shubnigras in the woods? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, no, it's none of those things. And it's snakes in the jungle. And it's been great. Matt seems way more uh, like motivated slash inspired by... I don't know if you guys are familiar. My father is a huge collector of, uh, like, pulp magazines. Like, yeah. um, old school, like, 1930s and 40s, like, 
kind of a cross between a comic book and a detective story. Yeah, yeah. And there was just a huge run of these uh, back in those days, especially in the States. And so much of that was also tied to Lovecraft. They had that weird tales and like, you know, crypt horrors and all sorts of weird things. And you would just read about these kind of hard-boiled detectives going through these creepier than, you know, like Los Angeles uh, stories. And I feel like Matt is looking more in that kind of pulpy, uh, creepy adventure side of it than the necessarily kind of more scholarly Lovecraft stuff, as I understand it. And I think that's great. Yeah, I think it's one of the things... We might have talked about this with him on one of the interviews we've done with him, but I think for the board games, knowing that what you do is hopeless, that you're never going to win, that would get that would drag after a while if you were playing a board game. Um, what you want is is the chance to, you know, even if it's against against all the odds, you know, you want to be able to fight off the monsters and succeed. And that is leans more towards the, the you know, the two-fisted action heroes, the pulp side of it, than really the, the hardcore Lovecraftian mythos where everyone dies and goes insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got a chance. You can, you know, shoot Cthulhu with a, with a shotgun, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that also leaves so much room to explore those uh, kind of deeper uh, stories whenever it's right time, right? Like, there's just so much there uh, that I'm just excited for the future of the game, for sure. You sounded quite excited on a previous episode of the Covenant cast about the Circle Undone uh, and this yes. idea of maybe witches and tarot and sort of maybe messing with, with sort of destiny and things like that. Are there particular themes or or even sort of investigator styles that you'd like to see explored in the future of this game? So for Circle Undone in particular, I'm almost certain. Every, so every time I consider what Arkham is about to do, what Matt's about to do, the cycle that's coming up, there's always a twist to it that makes it a thousand times more interesting um, and just just perfectly thematic. And Matt finds a way to do this, whether it's like the actress, you know, in that kind of narrative and how all of that worked out, or any number of like the yellow, the guy in the mask that's always just like... The man in the pallet mask. Yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, just around. And you're like, oh. <laughs> you know, it could have, you could have easily had a Carcosa cycle without that going on. Or like mm-hmm. even the look behind mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like all that, he just he just does it so well. So I think moving into uh, Circle Undone, we've been seeing a lot of those tarot previews on Twitter. Have you guys been keeping up with that? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I actually taught myself how to read tarot a long time ago, just oh, out, awesome. of, out of interest. Not, not that, I mean, if people want to believe it, that's great. I, I didn't particularly believe it, but I thought it was just an interesting thing. So as soon as the first one popped up, it, I twigged what it was and had no idea what it was connected to. <laughs> so here's my, my theory on this, and if it doesn't happen, maybe it'll be disappointing. Uh, in that deluxe expansion, in the Circle Undone box, I think we will get a deck of tarot cards, like an actual deck. And I think that we will use them throughout that campaign to determine outcomes in a weird and interesting way. Oh, that, that's really interesting. You know Every, what I mean? Mm-mm. Like, like mm-hmm. if the end of the scenario was like, okay, resolution one, flip the top card of the tarot deck. If it's this, do this. If it's that, do that. So like if you flip death, maybe that, or whatever the tarot version of that card is, maybe you go on a slightly different path, even though you had the same resolution. Or maybe there are tests that are not skill tests, but they're about the tarot deck. And it's not that there's bad and good options. It's that there's two equally good or two equally bad options. And the tarot deck resolves those. Yeah. Or or potentially drawing them at the start of the game. And then, then it's almost like at the beginning of the game, you do a reading. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Deal out three cards and then, you know, maybe that's what the chaos tokens, you know, the special tokens in the bag do. That's maybe that's what they do in this well, scenario. And so. We already have something sort of on that line as well, because we're playing in this campaign. There's going to be a prologue scenario where you play characters that you then, well, we might play them later in the campaign. We don't know, but you play them to find out what happens to them and what happens in this mansion before you even begin as your investigator. So that in itself is a kind of 
reading where we as players know something our investigators might not know about what happened in the house before we begin. There's going to be levels of understanding that we haven't really got our heads around yet, I think. Absolutely. It's just so exciting. And I just don't think that they'd have all of this awesome high-quality tarot art to put it you know, in a tiny little player card. I, I just feel like there's something bigger going on here. And hopefully yeah, that yeah. happens. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we can tease it out of, of uh, we normally get Matt on at the end of a cycle just to do a kind of director's commentary of the cycle. That's great. And we always try and prod him at the end just for some hints on the next cycle. So we'll see what happens when he comes on. Are you going to try and get him to do a reading, Peter, with you? Oh, no, well, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty rusty, but I can give it a go. <laughs> no, no, that would be that would be phenomenal i would love to listen to that are you guys um are you doing anything for circle undone anything that you're particularly excited about on your end because you guys are super locked into arkham so where do you think they're going to go with yeah. this well w- one of the things i'd like to look at what we've done before previous cycles is take a look at some of the fiction inspirations for that cycle so we uh we read the king in yellow before the the carcosa cycle and we, we read some of the, uh, I think it was The Mound and a couple of the other Lovecraft ones dealing with the jungle exploration before this cycle. So uh, you read The King in Yellow and you're still here? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> only, only Act 1. Only the Act 1, yeah. Act one. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, what I'd really like to do, because I know this cycle is going to look at the Silver Twilight Lodge. Yes. Which is a fictional organization that's that's gone back through quite a lot of the role-playing game supplements if i'm right mm-hmm. yeah 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 it has quite a long storied history yeah i know nothing about that so it would be great if we could either get some source material on that or, or this is an idea i've just had frank find someone who knows the chaosium rpg and then interview them on the store on the on our cast oh, about it nice okay i thought you were going to say drain their mind <laughs> just interview get, get them yeah. to indoctrinate yeah. us yeah. it would be great yeah, to yeah. have that back uh, that kind of back catalog of the source material in your head as you enter that cycle i think that was a great idea and you you know with matt like i know he played call of cthulhu the card game so he knows all of that backstory about how silver twilight became a faction in that game because they weren't one of the original seven factions but they were the eighth faction you know he knows that and you know he knows his backstory stuff anyway so he will use that material in the same way that he really knew the king in yellow and chambers and really riffed on it he's not a sort of superficial designer who just grabs the elements that take his fancy he kind of digs deep yes so it, it rewards you as a player to also pursue finding out as much as you can and sort of yeah, tracking down. So we'll definitely do some. Well, of that th- this stuff. is why it's one of my favorite implementations of of Arkham Files that FFG have done because you can you can get to the nub of what all the horrors are. The the other games by their design have to uh, keep the same core and then put the coverings of the different you know old ones or ancient ones or, or you know whatever mythos enemy you want has to go over the top of it. Uh, but with FFG, obviously, it's a lot more work to design, but. Matt can dive in, really get to the heart and, you know, come up with fresh mechanics for each cycle. So it, it, it really keeps things fresh and they're a very different flavor as we go through. Yeah, let's... Uh, do you want to get together and play it? Sounds <laughs> yeah. good. How much is yeah. a ticket? I mean, how much how much does it cost to get over there to uh, to Scotland, at least, while we're there? What is that, $800? $1,000? That's worth Maybe. it. Dep- yeah. dep- depends depends if you, how you... Yeah, you fly flying business cars. That's probably worth it for a <laughs> certain find... done playthrough, don't you think? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. We can we can find the ancestral McFarlane graveyard as well. Well, now see, this is making a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we should just uh, start to plan on this. You could swim in the sea as well, Stephen, off Scotland. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, I saw a little bit of that on Shetland, but it it wasn't there's living a, yeah. bodies. There's a few yeah. There's a few days in July where it might be um, tolerable. But. You know, you know the funniest thing about the UK to me. I have a, a friend from the UK, and there I was watching actually randomly. I think it was my brother. Uh, we were watching the weather for the UK, and they said uh, sunny spells. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I was like, we call that partly cloudy in this part of the country, but it's we're like, optimists. Yeah, the sun is yeah. so rare that like a peak of sun is like worth mentioning on the news. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Put you in the perfect place to play Arkham. It's always the weather's always very regional. There's a few things you notice living in the UK which change drastically as you as you move around in terms of like what people have 
slang words for. Yeah. Um, and the two main things are weather and bread. <laughs> so you can go like, you know, 30 miles and calling what someone else called a sandwich, they'll look at you like, like you've got a second head. <laughs> you, you want you want a what? <laughs> you, I got to tell you, the, the whole UK um, slang and cursing, you're so good at it. It drives me insane. You're so good at it. So cheers to that. <laughs> We just we'll we'll have to petition Matt for a, a cycle that visits the UK. Oh, yes, we really should. Oh, well, that has to happen. If Matt if Matt's, if Matt's yeah. coming over for research for his Edinburgh and London cycle, yeah, we'll get you over as well, Stephen, and we can play Circle Undone, the four of us. You can go swimming in the sea off Shetland. It'll be great. <laughs> That's yeah, great. It's a date. Hey, you, yeah. you can offer that as a uh, a Patreon backer uh, benefit that anybody <laughs> would want. <laughs> It's like swimming with dolphins, but it's swimming with Stephen. Like you've said it on the podcast now, it's a real thing. Yeah, once we get to sixteen thousand backers, we'll fly this over, and you can swim with him in the sea. What could go wrong? This is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's on the cast now. It's definitely not getting edited right, out. Verbal contract. Well, <laughs> I think we've come to an end here. I, I have I a final question that. for you. Yeah, I have a final sort of more Arkham-related question for you. This is just my own personal interest. You've talked about presence before in in terms of sort of gaming, and yeah. that gaming is is a way of being socially engaged that's more than just sitting at a computer or something like that. How do you feel about presence and Arkham? How does it feel when you're in your your group of three playing Carcosa yeah. in terms of presence. Oh, it's it's phenomenal. Um, it, to frame that, kind of to build out that framework a little bit, that this conversation stems from the reality that a lot of uh, competitive card games in particular, and even with Lord of the Rings going to a digital format, um, that there is a kind of an un, under-the-surface nervousness, I think, across uh, the tabletop gaming institutions that you have to actually sit down and ask the question, if people can play this so readily and so easily on a digital format on their phone or on a computer, will they just stop getting together and playing it physically? And I think you can't run from the reality. It's like online retail being what it is. You can't run from the reality that these games are going to continue to be more accessible, more easily played not in person. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to buy physical products. You don't have to set up a board you know, for 10 minutes before you sit down and actually play. Um, you don't have to move pieces around and get confused. Fly and, to Scotland. Right, you don't have to fly to Scotland. You don't have to know the rules as well. There's a lot of huge advantages to presenting something in a digital format. But the one thing that can't be transmitted to a digital format to me is this kind of esoteric uh, word that is presence to me, um, which is the feeling of being with another person engaged in the same thing. And to me, there are like layers of this. Like the first thing is like, if you imagine like you and I are in the same room and we're both staring into our cell phones, like that's a, we're, we're in the same place, but we're not very present together. Like the presence is low in that situation. And then if you take that same thing and you have us both watching the same television show or movie, like we're still both engaged with a digital thing, but we, for some reason, feel more present because we're having a shared mm -hmm. experience on that screen, right? Yeah. And then if you continue to move down that path, you kind of get to me, which is the kind of the sweet spot of the whole deal. And this is why games are so powerful and have been for so long. I mean, this is an ancient medium that we've been exploring for thousands and thousands of years as humans is that you have this medium where you can be fully present together without it being overwhelming or uncomfortable. Yeah. So like, yeah. You know, cause, cause sometimes if you and I are like sitting alone, like, you know, having a deep conversation, we have to have these kinds of weird moments where we're having to think, what can I say next to keep the conversation going? I don't want it to get awkward. And if it's a new person, if it's somebody I've never met before, I mean, how easy is it to kind of like lose the rhythm of the conversation? And then you sit in an awkward silence for a second and then nobody knows what to do. And there's a lot of anxiety around that. But with a game, I can be fully present even with a new person. And anytime mm -hmm. there's a break in the natural chain of conversation or relationship i can put my attention on the game and it's never awkward right yeah so yeah. 
when it comes to new people getting together and connecting, it's like the perfect amount of presence without the awkwardness of having so much responsibility to maintain the room, as it were, uh, or the, the situation in front of you. So I think cooperative games in particular, like Arkham and, and board games, can do an incredible job of bridging the connections between people and giving them a, an option to look at and to pay attention to while also still being engaged with each other. And I don't think a digital game is ever going to be able to do that. And so these games are particularly important because in the grand scheme of like why does tabletop gaming matter, uh, which is a question we all have to ask ourselves, it, it has to be about how important it is for people to connect with each other. I think that's a lot yeah. of what's missing in societies around the globe right now. And we've pushed things so far digitally that I think we're starting to try to find ways to swing that pendulum backwards to actually give value back to relationships and actually being with other people. And so games like Arkham are a great example of how presence can be achieved um, in this in this hobby to me. Yeah. At least. I think just to add to that in a very small, succinct way, the events that I've run where Arkham players have actually met each other for the first time and played together, the overriding feeling has been one of warmth and excitement for people to meet each other. And I think it's no surprise that you're engaged in this shared endeavour against the darkness and it leaves you feeling like you've met someone and made a friend. Yeah, it opens the door to that, whereas in competitive games can give you an element of presence as well. But whenever you bring winning and losing into any kind of a social situation, that's going to turn things in a different direction. And you can minimize that and you can kind of plan for that as a shop owner, as an event organizer, but there's really just no hostility that should exist in a cooperative game aside from somebody who's maybe overly concerned about doing well. Yeah, or, 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 or trying to control what everyone else is doing. Absolutely, yeah. And if, if you can set expectations accordingly to make it about experiencing the story and not about winning the scenario then i think that that's a good just an incredible medium for people uh, to connect and to meet others and to really get a lot of value out of the way that they're spending their time what a great answer do you have a final question peter i mean it's it's honestly it's hard to top that um Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and it's, I think it's such a nice sentiment to, to end on. I guess, I, personally, I, I really want to thank you for all the work you do at Team Covenant and all the other people at Team Covenant as well. You were, you were kind of a gateway for me to get more involved in Netrunner when I was playing Netrunner. And that's been fantastic. I've met lifelong friends, one of my best men I've met through playing Netrunner. So, yeah, that's fantastic. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Well, that's honestly, that's incredible to hear. Truly, thank you for, for sharing that. And that's pretty much our mission statement as, a, as an organization. So, you know, any amount of success at letting you get further into this hobby and, and meet people through it is a, a huge success for us. So thank you for, for saying so. If people want to check out Team Covenant, Stephen, what should they do? They should um, go to teamcovenant.com. That's our website. We've actually got a rebuild uh, that is launching uh, by the end of this year. So what you see is kind of an older version of what we are. Um, that'll get updated here shortly. And then also YouTube uh, slash Team Covenant, Facebook slash Team Covenant, Twitter, Instagram. You know, it's we try to get our content out there everywhere. And then you can find the Mythos boards that we sell, our Mythos token sets. We do ship worldwide all in our Arkham subscriptions, particularly if you're in the States. It's a really good deal if you're in the States. Um, if you're overseas, obviously shipping is going to be a lot more expensive, but sometimes it's still worth it depending on how your local stores are and how distribution is in your area. Um, you can find all of that on our store, which is just teamcovenant.com store, or you can click store on our, our website. So anywhere you want to engage with us, we should be. Uh, as marketing director, I'm pretty comfortable <laughs> saying that. You're, 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 yeah. <laughs> Feeling nervous. <laughs> And that's it. Cool. If you want to get in touch with us, listener, we're Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Drawn to the Flame. And we're also on Patreon. Take a look for the new Ghoul Supreme patron tier, which will be Swimming with Swimming Stephen. Swimming with Stephen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you heard it here that's first. Excellent. We're excited about that. We'll get, and thank we'll you. get Benjamin to do a little art. Thank you guys so much for having design. me on, too. If I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to say it. I really appreciate it. It's very kind of you and uh, happy to come on anytime. 
Oh, thanks very much, Stephen. Same right back to you. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.